babes in the wild. <laughs> or does in the landscape of the mind. It's going to be so subversive. They're going to love it. <laughs> so dark. <laughs> <laughs> she was like a sad cat. I'm sorry, but I want to be able to see out of my knuckle hair. You, you've opened my eyes. <laughs> we are a hive mind. We are one. Oh, hey, little nepotiz. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, that's upsetting. Say the word. You know the word. <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is a matter of taste. I'm Ian. I'm here with Theo. Hello. And tonight we are discussing episode seven of season three of Hannibal, Digestivo. And, uh,. Wow. <laughs> what an episode this was. I know I said that before. This season, even. But, uh... This was essentially, like, a mid-season finale. It, it was essentially a season finale if this season, this series got cut off right now, but there's still more, which, thank, thankfully, there is more, but... This just had all the intensity of a, se- a season finale. Yeah, no, it, it might as well have been. It wrapped up a lot of storylines. And I feel like there's going to be a big thematic break between this half of the season and the next half of the season. Oh, definitely. Like, I can't see the second half of this season being as, like, sort of aloof and tone poemy and dreamlike of as the first half. No. No, it's going to take on the tone of the Red Dragon himself. Indeed. That was actually a comment I saw on... Uh, I think it was an io9 summary of this <clears throat> of uh, this week's episode where they were just going back and like you know doing a recap of the episode and one of the like first comments on it was like does that mean <laughs> does that mean they're actually telling a story in this episode and not just indecipherable tone poems <laughs> and I was like on one hand okay fair <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, I didn't really find, uh, like, the episodes, especially with this episode sort of grounding everybody's storyline, mm-hmm. I didn't really find the rest of the season indecipherable. Like, it's it's a pretty clear sequence of events, you know? Well, yeah, especially now that we have this as, to cap it all off. This this definitely gives structure to the rest of the season uh, the way that Hannibal season finales have in the past. Like, the first season finale was such a beautiful way to wrap up that season and it just cast everything in a new light and this sort of did that same thing with this first half of season three where yeah at times it felt like we were meandering a bit touching on different storylines a little in un- one could say unequally uh but this really brought everything together in a really awesome way uh that said, there's still a lot of imagery in this first part of the season that is gorgeous, but I can see people being frustrated with its esotericness, if that is a word. Yeah, this is true. Es- esotericity? <laughs> <laughs> Esoteer. I have no clue. Um, but yeah, the, I, I think people were probably relieved that we didn't have any more snails this episode. Yeah. 
this was, this was something I brought up to Ian before we started recording. And I was like, I think all the people who were complaining about the snails and fireflies ran into the pig and the eel and were like, you know what, we we were good. We can bring those back. <laughs> yeah, so... The little piggy mobile. Oh my god! I gosh. texted you immediately after that scene aired. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that was a nice touch. <laughs> so this, like, you probably could tell if uh, anyone who read my live tweets, but this whole episode was just moment after moment. I was just like, what? What? What is going on? Like, leaning closer and closer to the TV. Um, But yeah, like, when... Is that... I mean, this is a horrible place to start the podcast, but if we're but since you brought it up, that that whole scene where they go down and find out the surrogate is a pig, and there's the that everything the composition of that scene was just so friggin' beautiful. Doesn't seem like the right word because it's such a horrible moment for Margot. But it is so, it, again, like everything else on the show, it's so elegantly done, and it's so, everything there, it's like, of course there's a, a pig mobile. It, it couldn't happen any other way. Uh, and, it, like, that was, and the, the music in that scene was, a, a lot of the music in this episode, uh, but specifically, I, I'm thinking, I can think of that scene where the music had a little bit more of a familiar quality than the the show generally has, and rightly so, because it, it was like sort of soft string section, and it was a beautiful way to underscore this really tragic moment for for Margot, uh, in a way that, like, if Brian Reitzel had just stuck to his sort of, like, noise... Uh, uh, abstract soundtrack, then it would have been... it would have felt inappropriate. Mm-hmm. I, th- I I also on my second viewing I realized that I think another reason the certain parts of this episode evoked uh, a Silent Hill aesthetic to me uh, like I said last episode when we were talking about the preview was just because there were a lot of scenes with Hannibal and then the, that scene with Margot in the incubator uh, where, like, they're using the the red light of the incubator as a functional thing, like, okay, yes, it's a pig farm, they would have these, but it's a, it's an in-scenery way to uh, give the whole uh, area a feeling of, uh, we are in hell. This is hell. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, Hannibal has played with some really weird lighting before, mm-hmm. but I think even... In most of the cases I can think of, the lighting, the like odd color design and lighting that we've seen in episodes has never struck me as something like non-diegetic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <clears throat> I don't know. Well, a lot of the color design is just the ludicrous costumes people wear. <laughs> like like the, the insanely loud clothes that we see in this show. Mm-hmm. And uh, the very, very loud interior decorators that... Uh, that apparently roam the halls of Quantico if that bathroom from episode one is anything to <laughs> go by. But yeah, I think that is, that is something we see really often. Cause I'm thinking of, I don't know, the light. Hmm. Well, maybe that's just a sign of good color design. Like the light, uh, the light, I'm thinking way back to like Coquie, 
mm-hmm. with that really like that really green um the really green color of the scene where they find the dudes uh, the angel like suspended in the alley oh yeah and it's like that never felt like artificial to me it was like okay it's green light there's probably you know i, I don't know mm-hmm. I, I don't even know what i'm saying I, i'm kind of rambling trying to articulate my thoughts on Hannibal color design right now. <laughs> it's it it you could write term papers about the color design in Hannibal. You absolutely could. <clears throat> but something about like the specific places where we saw like the incubator lights being used made me feel like they were purposefully going for this hellish landscape in the Verger estate. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure they were. When, like, the first time we see him is when, uh, Verger's men bring, uh, Hannibal and Will into that, like, it's, it, it's like the pig pen area, and it's where they end up leaving Hannibal later chained up. Mm-hmm. But when it, he first brings both Will and Hannibal in there, I almost thought he was gonna make them fight. Yeah. Cause the way that they shot it, they had that one, that, downward facing shot where they were both rolled in on either side of the center pen or whatever. And I was just like, is, is he going to like make him dogfight or something? <laughs> Thankfully that did not happen, but, uh, yeah, that was <laughs> things that run across my mind while watching the show. <laughs> Half the tweets that I was going to write, I, got stopped in the middle of them because something other something else ridiculous was going on. <laughs> <laughs> it like preempted your your oh, yeah. comment. Well like and I actually did tweet one of those where it was when uh Alana was talking uh, I can't remember like Alana oh it was it was in uh the scene where Alana and Margot are uh they it's after everything has happened with Mason and they're in the bedroom and they're about to kill him and Alana has the whole line about uh about did you know that we if we uh uh stimulate your prostate gland with a cattle prod then uh, we can extract sperm from you or whatever whatever the line was mm-hmm. and I started writing a tweet that was like oh Alana the things that you say and then in the middle of that, they just, that's when they, like, leap at Mason and start to bring him down into the eel tank, and so I was just like, what? And that's not, <laughs> Mason actually goes to shoot, um, shoot Margot. That's what it was, yeah. And Alana pushes the gun down, and he shoots through his own aquarium. Oh, he does? Oh. Yeah, so they actually take the responsibility out of, well, partially. Cause I mean, he shoots through his own aquarium, but Margot, Margot still ends up, like, holding him underwater as the eel swims down his throat. Yeah. Um, but the, the responsibility is partially removed from them, and it's Mason, it is Mason's fault. Like, he, he does shoot through the floor of his own aquarium, and that's how he ends up in there. Okay. Yeah, for some <clears> reason <throat> I thought that they both just, like, well, Margot specifically, because she was the first one to end up in the water with him, and Alana sort of retrieved her from there. But I, for some reason, I thought they just, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Stiff-armed him into the pool? <laughs> yeah. Like, actually broke it themselves. Um, but, yeah. 
and the, there were so many moments like that where I would start to write something, and then I'd be like, wait a second, something ridiculous is happening. Like, when they're at the dinner table with Mason, and uh, Cordell leans in close to Will, and Will just starts gnawing his face off. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think any of us were expecting that to happen from Will. Well, that was actually in the preview. It was? <laughs> yeah, for this week's episode. I did not see it there, so that that took me by surprise. Yeah, that was in there, and that's also why I didn't... Like, I, I actually figured uh, when they first brought Will and Hannibal into that pen that they were going to chain them up, because in the preview there's a shot, that overhead shot, when we see Hannibal, like, chained up there. Mm-hmm. Um, that was in the preview, and I couldn't remember if Will was as well, and I thought he was. Mm-hmm. But, um... Turns out, you know, he was he was getting ready to have his face cut off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I'm I'm looking back at the live tweets now, and that moment with Will is actually the one where I interrupted the t- the tweet that I was writing with. What the Lana <laughs> thing? Uh, the Lana thing was I was starting to write something about like the things that people say on this show, and then they had the whole eel thing happen. So. <laughs> That well, one that, I just didn't bother with. That exchange is so, like, I can't... Another one of those things where, like, I cannot believe they fucking said that on network TV. Oh my gosh, and then she lifts up a vial that has a... Very clearly has a, uh... Yeah. It, a discharge in it. And yes. says, like... she. It's either her or Margo who outright says, We milked you, Mason. Yes. I didn't hear that line the first time around, but yes, someone definitely said that. Oh my gosh, this show. There was that, that post that I reblogged on Tumblr where, so, I can't remember who it was, but a viewer was talking about, like, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, but it was so audacious and ambitious, and it was just amazing. I honestly couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was incredible, audacious, and stunning. And I love just how far the show goes. That was from Eric Goldman in his Digestivo review, and it's on IGN.com, and it's just like, yeah, this whole episode was that. <laughs> oh my gosh. And yeah, because I was live tweeting, I was missing little bits and pieces and stuff, but still, the whole episode, it was... Okay, we're sort of... We've sort of... I sort of have been flailing about with different moments, but was there anything in particular that you wanted to hit on before we get any further? Um, no, I don't think there was anything in particular. Okay. <clears throat> I'm looking back at my live tweets, and there was one I made about the imagery and timing on this show, and that was specifically when Mason is talking about eating the, the dude who ate his friend's penis or whatever, and smash cut to Cordell putting a bowl of sausage on the table. Yeah. I'm just like, oh my gosh, this friggin' show. Because of course. Because of course. Nothing subtle. Like, there's, it's, there's so many extremes on this show of, like, you've got the subtlety of Mance Mikkelsen's micro-expressions juxtaposed with uh, the absolute non-subtlety of uh, sausage and penis. <laughs> I just... <laughs> okay, so... Alana and Will had that little moment where they're just like... I guess... 
everyone else had left Will at the dinner table, and Alana walks in and she starts talking to him about Hannibal and that was that was a curious scene. Yeah, her tone was kind of like the way you would dress a kid who like had their hand caught in a cookie jar. Mm-hmm. It was like it was one of those I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed kind of thing. Yeah. Where she was like, I tried to get to Hannibal before you did because I knew you were gonna do it, you love sick asshole. <laughs> like <laughs> that was the undercurrent of that entire. Se- no, I'm I'm pretty sure it was it was basically text. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, and even on my second viewing, I, I, like it's it's not a huge leap, but the way that Will immediately turns that conversation on her and it's like, you have to get blood on your hands, Alana. I was like, whoa! Okay, then. I guess this is what what we're doing now. <laughs> I I just didn't know, like, part of me, if, if I sat and thought about it a little bit longer, I'd probably be able to connect the dots, but part of me felt like, okay, was he, because he doesn't specifically say, hey, you should help Hannibal get out so that he can help the rest of us and kill Mason. But that that's sort of what, like, Alana does with that information? Or, I don't know, what her motivation is for going to release Hannibal besides... Well, one of them is, obviously, she wants to save Will, which is interesting, especially after that conversation. Mm-hmm. Because when it, she goes down to... It's the pig pen, but we can just call it the dungeon at this point. Uh, Margo's already there, and her only, like, the first thing that she says to Hannibal is, like, can you save Will? Essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder what her feelings are towards Will at this point. I think what we're seeing is, like, sort of reverberations of Alana's, uh, Alana's character development. Because I know, I was talking to I was talking to Vic over the weekend, and uh, he had said he didn't quite feel like Alana's character development was genuine hmm. because she had been like such a straight arrow in the previous seasons. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I I don't quite agree with that, um, but I do think like I do think a lot of the ruthlessness we saw in the previous episodes was obviously an act for Mason. Um, and, you know, we did get that tempered with scenes with Margot and that sort of thing. Um, but I think this is where we really saw, like, the the sort of, <clears throat> you know, the real place that Alana's been brought to um, over the course of the season without any, like, I, I feel like her scene with Will was very genuine, where we have yeah. that, like, Yes, she's, I, there's like a frustration at being caught in this situation, um, which is Will's, it, I mean, you've got to be blaming Will at that point, because she just wanted Hannibal, and if Will hadn't gone off to fucking hunt him down, she could have gotten him. Like, all she wanted was this, like, revenge on Hannibal, which I think is a perfectly valid thing to be feeling, and I think a pretty natural way for her character to develop, because of how, like, how fundamentally she had been betrayed at the end of season two. Like, on a very, very deep level. 
the idea that you could be in such an intimate relationship with somebody and have no idea who the fuck they actually are. Um, which I yeah. think we even saw further with her last line to Han- uh, Hannibal. Um, yeah. But, <clears throat> so I think her, her relationship, or her, her scene with Will was very genuine. And I think, I think what Will, um, what Will is bringing up is like, you know, I know you wanted to, I know you wanted to catch Hannibal. I don't know what you wanted to do with him, but I think we both need to recognize that one cannot suffer a Mason to live. <laughs> like, like <laughs> mm-hmm. so I think from Alana's perspective, she's kind of sitting there like, well, we'd have to deal with Mason and deal with Cordell, and we don't know, like, she's trying to solve her problem and solve Margot's at the same time. And I think she realizes the only way she can do that is with, like, a little more monster power on her side than Mason has. So that's what drives her to go down and free Hannibal. And I do think it's very fitting that the last thing she asks him is, could I have ever understood you? Well, the last thing she asks him on screen, because obviously Hannibal's got this spiel about uh, teaching them how uh, how to sperm jack Mason. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's a or medical I, term. I, I think it's, it, uh, it's actually a medical term. Um. <laughs> oh yeah, because yeah, because she's like, "Did you know that?" And then she's just like, "Hannibal does." <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if she was implying with that line that Hannibal did it himself or that he taught them how to do it. Yeah, I mean either or. I mean, he probably let Margot do it because Margot would get more satisfaction out of it. <laughs> I don't know. That's fucking weird, man. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> not, not, it's not like it's... the weirdest thing this show has done, but it's that's pretty fucking weird. Yeah, that would be pretty fucking Killing weird. Mason, yes. I think that's that yeah. would be therapeutic. <laughs> Yeah, now that I think about it, I, I, I don't know. About, I don't know about that. I was just thinking about the torture aspect of the cattle prod, but that's not what was necessarily going on there. I don't want to think about this anymore. <laughs> anyway, two things I wanted to bring up about the Alana Will scene was you you were talking about the sense of betrayal at the end of the last season, and I love the fact that she had the line uh, like uh, Will Will has the line uh, she asks her, "What did you think would happen?" And uh, she said, or what did you expect would happen or something like that? And she says, I thought the FBI would come in and and would come to the rescue or something. It was something along those lines. And I thought that was such an important thing for her to say aloud. And I thought like that was one of the most genuine moments in that entire scene because it so it shows in stark relief the way that she uh, thought about her worldview before all this happened and her worldview after the fact that that she recognizes it that's the way that she was thinking and that's the way that she puts it in response to mm-hmm. will that that to me was just like it that was a moment where like i was like oh man i feel for you alana because yeah. <laughs> any person living in the normal just like day-to-day world even, even or, or of a of a crime drama, we'll, we'll say because le- we can debate the uh, optimism of the everyday world to the end of the de- end, of, end of time. But in 
in a situation, in like just an everyday situation, you would like to be able to think, hey, this is awful, but the 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 authorities will help us out here. And that is not what happened at yeah. all. So not, there's not just the betrayal of uh, her friends, but also the betrayal of uh, this system of government to the system of uh, keeping stuff like this from happening. Well, I don't know if that's entirely a betrayal because it's been set up by Mason that the FBI won't take that seriously until it's too. I was, I'm starting to think that I, I was a little confused about the way that I took the, uh, I was expecting the FBI to come in and to the rescue. Because mm-hmm. the way I n- initially took that line was she was talking specifically about the events of Mitsumono. But now I'm thinking, was she talking specifically about, like, the FBI sweeping in and saving the day by catching Hannibal? Yeah, no, that's, that's the way I interpreted it. That she was planning on letting Mason play with Hannibal for a while, and then, like, you know, whenever the FBI showed up to collect Hannibal, they showed up. Okay. But then earlier earlier in the episode, she realizes that Mason has planned for that contingency and has been calling in, like, false things about Jack Crawford. Oh, okay. So it's like... I mean, I suppose she could still call it in. That's but. I mean, who knows, you know, she's she's not exactly in the position that she can sneak off and make, well, because she sneaks off and lets Hannibal go. So, I don't know. Would, what, would, is there a potential that she could be... Uh, that uh, she could have uh, called the FBI in well, if to that, sweep the house before they, uh, before they cut Will's face off. They probably wouldn't have made it before they cut Will's face off. That is not what I was going to say at all. <laughs> Well, no, I was, to... I'm sorry, I was continuing my train of thought. I, sorry. Okay, no, that's all right. <laughs> um, but was there a potential that she could have been incriminated by being associated with it if she had called it in? Yeah, I mean, that's that's also true. I don't know. Yeah, so that, that sort of muddies up my interpretation of that line. But, uh, teamwork. <laughs> Someone made a tweet about how, like, everyone sort of worked together to get that end result of Mason dying, and I was just like, teamwork. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, the thing that I was thinking about after this episode aired, and, like, Cleo commented on how she felt happy, which she wasn't expecting to feel happy, and I, I did too, and I think... Part of it is because of that whole, uh, this episode bringing all those storylines together and resolving a bunch of different things. But also, Mason Verger dying is the first time anything, like, unequivocally positive has happened on this show. In such a dramatic, climactic way. Mm Mm-hmm. Because every other, like, finale that we've had, it's just made things worse <laughs> for the characters involved. But this is the first time where it's like, oh. I'm sure this season finale will follow suit. Yeah. <laughs> but for now, we can enjoy the fact that Mason died, and he died in an awful, awful way that he totally deserved. And everyone helped. 
Margot and Alana and Hannibal and Will and Chio. That 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 was a thing. Like it was cool the fact that they brought they kept Chio involved in it beyond just helping out Jack at the beginning of the episode. Which holy crap that 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 opening where they're just like open him up like he opened up the other man other one. I was just like fuck what the fuck yeah because it's like well they already tore into Will's head. What what'll stop them from tearing into Jack's head? But thankfully, Chio is there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was. What? Go ahead. Oh no, go on. Um. That that whole sequence after they release Hannibal is interesting because you see, there's so much stuff that happens be behind the scenes, and the only times you see Hannibal are like he's covered in blood. And it's like when he's out, he's like just walked out of a room or like when he's carrying Will across the, was it snow? Was it, yeah, it was winter. Uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, but you don't see, there's so much happen that happens between things. Like we just see Mason wake up with Cordell's face on him and it's like, oh, there was a lot of stuff that happened that we didn't see. Yeah. Or, like, the whole sperm jacking thing. <laughs> well, we didn't really need to see that. <laughs> no, we did not. Um, yeah, I think this is the last we've uh, we've seen of Chio. That's what I'm thinking, too. Um, there was a, there's a really interesting, uh, interesting response that I, I posted on the, uh, or I reblogged to the, the podcast Tumblr that I was reading where somebody asked like for clarification on Chio's story and it was really well written. Mm-hmm. Um, but they basically ended with like this, this really interesting line that uh, I'm going to paraphrase it, but the, I've got it right here in front of me. Oh, okay. Well, the line, it was like, you know, Chio's a bullet out of Hannibal's past and she belongs or she re- she'll remain in the fairy tale, which I thought was really, really intriguing. That, that was sort of the way I took her exit as well, because the way that she sort of just, fades into the woods. I think there are even like snowflakes falling around her or something. There was something about her exit that did feel very fairy tale like. Mm-hmm. And so that that was sort of the way I took it too that like she was part of that fairy tale story of this first part of the season and this is her uh not happily ever after like a fairy tale often ends, but this is her uh like last mention in the story and we don't we're we're not going to get an epilogue for her necessarily well because i think any any epilogue would feel this is the epilogue like any any anything other than this would feel like it was it by by its very nature it would feel like it was beginning a new story because it would be chio's essentially freed herself from any sort of uh cell that hannibal locked her in mm-hmm. i mean um you know, this is her chance to begin a new life, and she gets to walk... <laughs> she gets the best ending that a character in Hamlet can get. She gets to walk away. Yeah. <laughs> because, and it's interesting, too, because she told Hannibal on the porch there that she would watch over him, not in a cage. And then, oh, Hannibal's putting himself in a cage. I guess that gets... that I'm off the hook now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did like the way that her character exited. I'm wondering if uh, any Clarice fans were irritated that 
the between iron and silver speech got used here. <laughs> yeah, I I wasn't familiar with that speech, so I I just thought it was just a like so many things they lift from the Harris novels. It was just like a really obtuse way of saying that she's a strong person. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it is, but he or, he normally uses the speech for Clarice, yeah, which is why I'm yeah. curious if. But I I mean, given that we're still unsure if we'll ever see anything with Clarice come to fruition, and it feels like an appropriate place to have used it. Yeah. Well, and it's also, it gives... It, Chio could very easily feel... I, I I think that Chio could very easily feel like a token character. Like, mm-hmm. just sort of like... Or like a plot device. And I think giving uh, her that... Dis- that well giving Hannibal that line and using it in reference to her I think it, it sort of solidifies that okay she, yeah she was a primary player in this if anyone else it, which at this point no one should have doubted because she made a lot of stuff happen <laughs> but that that sort of uh, gives her a, an elegant uh, it gives a little bit of elegant closure to her storyline too mm-hmm um, I, I am going to have to read this uh, post that you reblogged after we finish recording. We, we've been jumping around so much, and I don't want to miss anything. Uh, yeah, so people may have noticed on Twitter, I didn't realize, like, for whatever reason, even though when uh, Mason woke up and he looked at the face on his, on his face, <laughs> the face on his face, things you say when you're talking about Hannibal, um... I, it didn't look like Will's face to me, but for some reason I still, because that, that they did such a good job of that bait and switch, I for some reason still thought Will had had his face removed, but no, it was just, it was Cordell's face on him. And like, that was just, it slides off his face and I'm just like, fuck. That, that, that I think was when I tweeted, uh, what in the name of Cronenberg? Yeah. Um, and I think immediately after that is when we see Hannibal walking Will across the fields and Chio popping off Berger's dudes. Um, <laughs> I'm lo- looking back at more tweets and Cleo's tweet of, my takeaway from this, oh, thank God we didn't see the cattle prod. Yeah. Uh, Cordell, every time Cordell was talking to Hannibal about how he was going to prepare him, and Hannibal had this look on, like this shit-eating grin on his face, I couldn't tell if Hannibal was just sort of, uh, like, the way that I wanted to interpret it was just that Hannibal was like, oh, Cordell, you're such a terrible cook. This is so, so... uh, like lower level cooking you, you come on <laughs> <laughs> but maybe he did think it sounded delicious i mean it's possible <laughs> <laughs> if there was if there was anyone who could appreciate that yeah um okay we we t- we I mentioned the Crawford 
scene at the beginning, Crawford and Chio had that little moment, which was cool. I just loved how Crawford was like, so, I have a needle in my neck. Could you please take it out? In very, very even tones. <laughs> hey, um, so, Sniper Lady, I totally appreciate this, but I think we're getting away from the pressing subject of the needle in my neck. Uh, <laughs> also, I, I think Brian Fuller pointed out on Twitter how when uh, Hannibal starts to saw into Will's head, or as Hannibal is sawing into Will's head, and Jack is shouting no, there's that shot at the beginning of this episode where Will's looking at Jack, and he's got... Brian Fuller described it as Picasso face. Yeah. Yeah, his head's, like, kind of mushrooming in a weird way. Mm -hmm. Um... How Dude, Will, Will is beat up by the end of this episode. Oh my gosh. This whole season, it's like he got thrown off a train. He got shot. He got... He just... And he was still recovering from being eviscerated. And It's just like, Will Graham, how are you still alive? I don't think it's going to get any easier for him either. Oh no. No, it's not. Like, I fully, fully expect episode 13 to be much worse. <laughs> oh, it, just from, it, like, they, they've been careful not to show anything too spoilery in the, the American previews. Just the, the tanker truck they brought in for the fake blood for the episode. <laughs> the, uh, the Korean previews have not quite been as careful about that. Like, mm -hmm. for one, they showed, Abigail in uh, the previews for the for the season uh, before we knew what her state was, which seemed a little rash to me. And there was something else I saw in the Korean preview that I will not bring up, but it's yeah, episode thirteen is going to be pretty awful. <laughs> and again, like I'm trying to figure, I can't imagine because this this episode was so off-the-wall insane. But, and yet, we've still got a, a, a season finale to to look forward to. And this so I'm true. just... It, there's definitely going to be some remixing going on of some sort. To, to look forward. Yeah. And the, I know you can't see my air quotes, but I'm air quoting as hard as I can right now. Yeah, I, I tried to put that into the, the tone of the phrase when I said it. Um, yeah, this, like, this, I'm excited for the Red Dragon arc, but it is not going to get any easier for Will. Oh, man. Speaking of which, that, I think that brings us to the end of the episode where we get Will waking up in his bed, fully clothed, so, yes, once again, Hannibal, as many people on Tumblr were quick to mention, Hannibal once again washed Will and clothed him and put him in his bed. <laughs> he's a conscientious cannibal. He is. When he's not trying to saw Will's head open. <laughs> exactly. And uh, we had the the breakup moment. I, 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 like, again, my heart went out to Will when he's like, I miss my dogs. Yeah. <laughs> 
And then immediately he's just like, I'm not going to miss you. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking love somebody. I don't know if this was on Twitter or Tumblr yesterday. It was probably, I think it was Tumblr. Somebody pointed out that like, it's so funny that the show frames Will being mean to Hannibal as like on the same level of pain for Hannibal as the, absurdly grotesque things that continue happening to Will. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, I, I think... It's like, <laughs> Hannibal has, like, the thinnest emotional skin possible. Oh, yeah. I, I think that was a bonerino of my skull. Uh, yeah, it, it might have been her who posted it. It probably was. I believe but, so. I mean, it does make sense, though, when yeah. you think about it. It's like, like, if the guy's never had, like, a legitimate friend before... Mm-hmm. How underdeveloped does the, do those like emotional defenses have to be? Mm-hmm. But I just think it's bad. It's like oh, Hannibal, you you cannot take anything. <laughs> yeah, someone was commenting. He's such a clingy boyfriend. <laughs> well, and that was specifically in reference to the very end of the episode, which oh yeah yeah oh my gosh, like again. Anyone who's listened to uh, even an episode of this podcast knows that I'm firmly uh, on in like the will side of things. I like I prefer uh, when uh, good things happen for Will, and uh, clearly I don't have any love lost for Hannibal Lecter, despite moments earlier, like last episode, uh, where I may have been questioning things. <laughs> I was confused, but. But when Hannibal comes out of the woods, and he's just like, I'm here, Jack, and then he's like, I just want everyone to know where to find me, and he gives Will that look, and I was just like, fuck. Fuck. Will can't get away from him. Even when he very clearly states, hey, this, we're, we're, we're done. It's like, Hannibal again. It is he's he's such a selfish person. Yeah, he's just like nope, can't accept that. I still want to be around. And like there was some debate in like some of the conversation I was seeing on on Tumblr where people were like, okay, some people think Hannibal made this decision purely out of spite, and some people think it was purely a romantic decision. Like he genuinely wanted to will to be around honestly i think it's both i think hannibal is just the sort of person to be like i uh, i have this very deep close relationship with will and he may want to end it i don't want to end it i want him to be around and so from the like romantic friendship side of things i think that is definitely part of his motivation but i also think some of his motivation is like hey this is exactly the thing you didn't want so i'm going to torture you a little bit with it because that's the way i am you don't have control here I have control I always have control I always have control guys (laughs) I'm a big boy what's that you don't want to hang out anymore okay fuck you I'm sorry what was that Um, no I'll be over here if you need me Uh, you know just living on your porch in case you change your mind (laughs) it's like Hannibal, I don't know, want to know where you are. Oh, hey, here's exactly where I am. So that'll be wheeling away at the back of your mind. 
Just as Jack's handcuffing him, like, I thought this was easier than texting you GPS coordinates every month, so whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Hannibal cannot let him go. Do you know, do you know, like, international roaming rates? They are bonkers! Like... (laughs) (laughs) Hannibal Lecter. The name just makes me fucking giggle now. (laughs) Whoever thought that we would be giggling at the name of Hannibal Lecter? (laughs) We're probably gonna get. We'll probably be back to being mad at him by the time the next season. But like, it's so like even with that like last spiteful moment, the guy facilitated the death of Mason Verger. Yeah, like it's fine for now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like back when. uh... And it's it's like when Cleo did her recap of Fromage, and she was talking about that fight between Lecter and uh, Tobias, mm-hmm. and she's like, okay, part of you us is just like, okay, the show is named after him, we know that he's not going to be the one to die in this scene, it, but the other part of us is also like, okay, yes, he's the worst ever, but he's our worst ever, get him, kill Tobias! <laughs> So it's like we, it's it's the uh, it's the unfathomable attraction of Hannibal Lecter. We hate him, but there's part of us that always goes back for more. But yes, facilitating the death of Mason Verger definitely gives him points. <laughs> Not enough to outweigh all of the other awful, horrible things he's done, but. <laughs> It kind of reminds me of that scene from Scrubs where Dr. Cox j- gives JD a man card and then immediately takes it back. Like, you held on to it for as long <laughs> as you could, didn't you? <laughs> I have a feeling that's going to be us with these points that we're awarding Hannibal immediately next episode. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, given that there's the time jump, it's three years. That's decent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think even... Brian Fuller has already talked about in interviews and stuff how it's like it's been three years and Hannibal's kind of really upset that Will didn't come and see him in those three years. <laughs> of course he would be. Even though Will made it abundantly clear that he has no plans to call on Hannibal when last they spoke, he would still be like passive-aggressively upset about it. Yeah. No, it's cool, whatever. I didn't even want you to show up. It's fine. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, on that note, I guess it's, that brings us to the end of the episode, and, uh, uh like, it's, well, Jack has that sort of victorious look on his face, and it's just like, well, I, I, I don't know if it's victorious, but Jack has that grin on his face. I think it's sort of like a, it's like a... I kind of just wanted to catch you myself. You're you're making this too easy. No, I honestly I think he is sort of satisfied because when Hannibal gives himself up and looks over to Will, Jack, I think that's Jack realizing that if he hadn't brought Will in, he never would have caught the Chesapeake Ripper. Ah. So it's it's sort of vindication for him, even though all this horrible shit has happened. He mm-hmm. he can like you can make the argument that that's the only way Jack would have gotten his hands on Hannibal. Yeah, 
that's the word I was looking for, sardonic. It's sort of a sardonic grin of, like, uh, oh, you're turning yourself in. Okay. I, I, I wish I could explain better what I'm, there's something, like, the, I, I think it is vindication, but I also think it's, like, uh, it's a little bit of, like, thought this would have been harder. Uh, or, like, I wish we had, could have gotten to this place without all the other shit that we had to go through. But at least we're here now. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. But yeah, he did catch the Chesapeake Ripper. Yeah, it's that look on Will's face when Hannibal's like, Oh, yeah, this is where I'll be. I, it's just like, fuck my life. <laughs> oh, come on! <laughs> <laughs> like, it sucks to be Will Graham. Oh, man. All right. But, yeah, on that note, uh, that brings us to the end of our episode. There will be a three-year time jump, and then uh, this Thursday for some places, this Saturday for America, because we can't have nice things at the same time that everyone else does, we will have episode eight of Hannibal, The Great Red Dragon. We've moved away from uh, uh, foreign language dishes, and we have moved on to the titles of uh, William Blake paintings. Indeed, that seems to be the case. And what a great red dragon it shall be. Okay, that was a reach. (laughs) (laughs) I just, like, I need to stop using that sentence structure of what a blank it blanked because <laughs> that's just i'm using that way too often anyway oh it looks like we're going to get a few more guillermo navarro directed episodes in the second half of the season which is cool yep, at least two um but yeah we will uh are you going to be able to live tweet yes, this weekend yes i will good because i'm going to have a show <laughs> How convenient! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, we'll let, obviously we get it Saturday. Sophia will be live tweeting during the Saturday showing at ten o'clock on NBC in America. Uh, this episode will hopefully be up before Thursday, or yeah, before Thursday's airing for everyone else uh, who gets it on Thursday. So. Uh, Thank you for listening. Hope you'll tune in next time, and good night. This has been A Matter of Taste. If you'd like to get in contact with us, email us at amatteroftastepodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at aomotpodcast. Find full episode posts at amatteroftastepodcast.blogspot.com. And follow us as A Matter of Taste Podcast on Tumblr, Facebook, and iTunes. Thanks for listening. Yeah,